episode of American Graffiti, one song at a time. Probably just blew up my microphone. I would have made a terrible radio host. <laughs> yes, because I am back and I have a guest with me today. Once again, I am joined in the booth. I don't, I don't know how radio works, people. I don't know why I ever made the joke that we should pretend to be radio DJs on this show. It was a terrible idea, and I'm sorry already. I am one of your hosts, Tierney Steele, and with me today is Walt Murray. Hey, how are you? Well, other than the fact that I don't know how to introduce my own dang podcast, I'm great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is a podcast, so you get a pass on that. You know, when you make a podcast about the movie American Graffiti, you think, oh yeah, sure, of course we're going to pretend to be radio DJs. Wolfman Jack, all that stuff. And then... And then it's just you and one other person making a podcast, and you're like, I'm not Wolfman Jack. <laughs> well, I, I have filled in on my co-host, Alan Sanders. Uh, he is actually a morning news guy. And on Saturday, he does a little bit more entertainment and some local flavor type stuff. And I have filled in for him before. And it is not the easiest job in the world. I really have come to appreciate what Wolfman Jack did for a living. It's complicated, right? And now, so I know where you and Alan are from because you have been kind enough to let me come on your show and babble about how much I love Madeline Kahn before. But why don't you explain to our listeners (laughs) so that that sentence makes sense to them? (laughs) Sure. I am the co-host of the Wilder Ride podcast, and we went to work on the movies of Gene Wilder a few years ago. And so far, we have broken down one minute at a time the comedy classics Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. And you have joined us, you joined us for what, five, uh, three minutes of um, Blazing Saddles, right? That sounds right. Yeah. And did, you didn't join us for uh, Young Frankenstein, did you? I did not. I was not cool enough to know you guys back then, which (laughs) is really a shame because a few years ago, my sister and I tried to figure out what are the movies that someone you're bringing into the family needs to see to understand what's going on here. Like, what are the things your family references as if that's just a normal thing to say? Because what I realized was um, my sister and I started dating people who had not seen the original Arthur with Dudley Moore. What? And my family quotes that as if that's just something everyone would know. Do you think she wants some cheese is very important to be able to say at a big family party. We had our like few obvious ones. And then it was like, okay, well, we're going to round this out to a top five. What's in that last spot? And we got into like a legit fight over should a young Frankenstein or Spaceballs go in that last slot? Ooh, wow. Young Frankenstein ended up winning purely for roll, roll, roll in the hay. <laughs> well, that is a very valid reason. Well, and and I would make the argument, because I'm a big nerd and have thought about this before, I would put Young Frankenstein in that slot because, number one, it's my favorite comedy, I think, of all time. But secondly, I think the comedy has endured a lot better than Spaceballs comedy did. So even though I love Spaceballs, but you are talking to someone who did walk through and write Spaceballs the toilet paper on many, many squares. (laughs) (laughs) Enough squares that we got yelled at. For wasting yeah, toilet paper. <laughs> I have um, I have been there. Yeah, I've spaceballed the wall a few times uh, in various bathrooms. Uh, yeah, so I'm with you. I'm that kind of nerd. Yeah. <laughs> so George Lucas would be horrified that we're getting to American Graffiti via Spaceballs for the... <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I've never seen him speak about that movie, but I'm guessing he's not like a massive fan. So we're here to talk today about American Graffiti. Specifically, we're talking about the Sock Hop. We are at the dance. We've made it to the high school gymnasium. I feel so overwhelmed because I have behind the scenes. I have what we're seeing on screen. I have the song. Did you have any strong feelings about where to dive into this? Wow, that's a great question. This is a a really interesting scene for me, and I I keep wanting to say minute. It's a little bit more than a minute. (laughs) But uh, this scene in the song, because I've always liked this song, Mm -hmm. and this is one of those uh, songs that I remember as a kid, my parents playing and remember it on the radio. But I also, this dance is so crazy and so memorable that I really want to dive into everything all at once. So <laughs> I'm, I'm looking to you to be the more disciplined radio Welcome host here. to my world. And get all us right. on track. <laughs> Let's start by talking about the song At The Hop, technically released in 1957, but it was late 1957. It didn't become a hit until 1958. So that's the year that you will see most associated with it. The version that... Everyone except me watching American Graffiti is probably thinking of was by Danny and the Juniors. Yes, that's right. And and that was originally written when they were the Juveneers. There wasn't a ton of, de- you know, there was that they were the Juveneers. This was their big hit. If like me, you are morbidly fascinated by anything to do with Paola. Hey, guess what? This is one of those songs. Yes. Uh... Because it became an American bandstand hit. And then I freaking lost my mind because the other note that I came up with while researching the song was that this song at the hop. I mean, you assuming listener, you've you've watched the scene at the hop. Performed at Woodstock. How crazy is that? Are you kidding me? What, 25 years after it's released the first time? It, yes. it Right before Jimi Hendrix went on stage, The Hop, At The Hop, is the song that leads Think into that. Think about it. It was big in 58. What uh, to me, they see, and I'm sure to most people, they seem so far apart, but 58 and 69 are not actually that far apart. They are not. And and think about really like how different things were from 69 to 89 versus the original release date to that. Society and culture just didn't really change that much. You know, there was not really anything introduced. I mean, society was changing. That's Mm. obvious. But think about what happened when computers started getting introduced and things like that. And society really started changing fast. But the styles of of music this was still a pretty you know fresh song that's insane to me it is insane and i was really excited because i had already written down shana na my notes for today because if we're gonna talk about movie high school dances we're gonna end up comparing this band and shana na right so that the song was by danny and the juniors we are watching quotes herbie and the heartbeats play it ladies and gentlemen this is flash cadillac and the continental kids <laughs> Right. And I read somewhere, somebody made the comment that they were a lookalike band. 
I don't know about that, but they do sound a lot like them. Yeah, no, they're not trying to be Shanana. They just are also a retro band. Retro band, vintage band, those are the words I see tossed around more. Um, because it's not like Shanana has a monopoly on that. I'm just very biased because I have seen Shanana in concert and gotten some autographs. So Really? Go Norwalk Oyster Festival. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, my town's so- <laughs> annual, you know, craft fair, all, you know, Know, the fire department sells fried clams as a fundraiser. Oh, nice. All that. There's there's a stage with bands performing. And one year it was Shana Na. And I was super into Greece and American graffiti and all this stuff. And I was like still young enough to be going to the Oyster Festival with my grandparents and my parents. So awesome. we went and we we bought the photo and then we got it signed. Okay, so what year was this? That's an excellent question. It would have been post-1994. Oh. But at the latest, 99. Like, no, no. Because even 1999, I would have. So at least 25 years after Woodstock. Yes. So at Woodstock, you know, the guys from Shanana would be young and hip, I guess. And I am incapable of seeing them that way. <laughs> <laughs> So were they like old and crusty when you saw them? Yeah, it was a big deal. Um, I got three autographs. I, I should have dug it out. It's in the other room. The keyboardist, someone else, and the person who was in Greece. <laughs> okay, which... Um, who was still with the band. <laughs> I, should, I should be able to remember his name because I remember their TV show. Okay. I'm that old. So I remember their TV show. And, you know, later on when you see, oh, Sean on Oz is going to be here, you kind of start thinking, man, these guys have been around forever. They, I was one when Woodstock went down. So they, you know, are like my parents' age. This is totally irrelevant to the movie, but I think you'll appreciate this. So I'm from Connecticut originally, and my dad and his friends heard that there was going to be a music festival in Woodstock. They knew how to get there. They get there. They're on that high. You know that they they always show the picture of that road and people just like parking and walking. They hit that traffic and said, no concert is worth this. Turned around and drove back to New Canaan, Connecticut. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That is bananas. Oh, my gosh. And my mom was just young enough. She's a year younger that she wasn't hearing about this until after the fact. You know, like, just just young enough and just uncool enough that it's like, she didn't know that Woodstock was happening until after it, till it happened, till it was Woodstock. But my dad and his friends were the types who would hear, like, oh, yeah, it's supposed to be amazing. And they drove up and they were like, I don't care how amazing it is. We're not dealing no. with this. <laughs> okay, so... Around So by contrast, my sister, when she was in high school, she's seven years younger than me. She was dumbfounded that my parents didn't go to Woodstock. So my parents are trying to explain this to her. And they're like, your dad had already been to Vietnam and come back. And he was a a second year, no, first year FBI agent. If Mr. Hoover found out that one of his agents had gone to Woodstock, (laughs) he might have never, they never would have found his body. Hoover would have had him executed on the spot. So that would have been the last place on earth, my parents. And and like I said, I was one. So they would have 
this Vietnam vet FBI agent would have drug his one-year-old to Woodstock. Not going to happen. A huge shout out to the Rafi episode of The Simpsons. Oh, Possibly yes. one of the best episodes of The Simpsons ever. Yes. Absolutely. Wonderful idea, beautifully executed. <laughs> Absolutely. So I will say for a shout out to Flash Cadillac and the Continental Kids, they formed in 1969. They did, I wouldn't say pretty quickly, but they did eventually drop the Continental Kids. They were like, we're in our 30s. This is kind of weird. And there is still a Flash Cadillac group performing today but it's it's not it's not really the same people but it's it's continuous they're a group that actually went and like basically bought a house together and then people came people went and eventually you know some people passed away but always you know and so there is still something go or at least as of 2015 i think is when i was reading this but that's that's pretty good and yes they are technically performing as herbie and the heartbeats which you will see if you like me are staring at the drummer got this drummer always makes me the first close-up of the drummer is hysterical to me i love that close-up he is so into his art <laughs> i mean he is really digging what they've got going there mm-hmm. well and this band is so much better than any band that has ever played at any high school dance <laughs> ever yeah I, I will admit, um, by the time I was going to high school da- dances, school dances, uh, it was all DJ'd, but I did go a couple times where it's like, ooh, Sutton and Sebi have a band and they're going to play and... AJ plays the bass. I got to go see this. He's cute. He's going to play the bass. And then like you go and it's like 20 high schoolers and it's not that impressive. Sorry. But yes, this is, I love this scene. It's very reminiscent of the dance in Greece, obviously. But this feels more real. The darkness of it just kind of catapults it into that like okay yeah i see how this could really happen as opposed to the fantasy of rydell high right well and i really like even the first part of this minute when they pan in and you've got kind of the wallflowers sitting on the bleachers a couple of uh chaperones sitting there then you've got a couple you know 10 or 12 girls standing there kind of dancing to the side and then all the people on the floor dancing it really catches captures that feeling of being at a high school dance I'm a terrible person to be hosting and talking about this segment because I went to exactly one homecoming dance and I remember very little other than what I wore. (laughs) (laughs) I mostly, I just bought a um, red fake leather jacket and wanted an excuse to wear it. Oh, well, there you go. That was all I cared about. was that I had an excuse to wear that and get dressed up. And so I went. Didn't have a date, never did that. These scenes actually put me much more in the mindset of in middle school because everyone went to those. By the time we got to high school, you didn't have to go to the dances. And the thing is, it's not like you had to go at middle school, but what else were you going to do? Right. By the time you got to high school, there were options. Even if the options were just watching Rocky Horror at your friend's house again, like you'd probably rather do that than dance to like 90% music you don't like. <laughs> right. With, uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. And I somehow, I managed to go to several of those types of dances along the way, but I don't know why. 
I'm a terrible dancer. I don't enjoy the that kind of setting. I, I guess I just my friends were going, so I went. Yeah. And um, you know, and like you said, the music was always here and there, and I'd just rather go hang out and do it pretty much anything other than this. But you're right, yeah. yeah. Go watch Pink Floyd the Wall. I'd go to the formals. Yeah, I went to one or two of those. I went to yeah. prom once. But this, the like casual dance at your school in the gymnasium with those bleachers, it took me right back to middle school. And let me tell you, for a while there, I thought Mariah Carey and Boys to Men recorded the song One Sweet Day as a personal insult to me, an unpopular middle school girl. <laughs> And when they cut to in the bathroom and everyone's just hanging out in the bathroom, and then especially it's in the boys' bathroom, but you see that someone has climbed up onto the toilet seat and is talking over the stall to the yes. person next to them. That was us hiding out from the slow songs. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> yep, no doubt about that. And the weird scene there where he says, oh, you've got zit makeup or zit cover or whatever. I'm like, I really don't ever remember using that in public. I would have been mortified to, to do something like that. I absolutely adore that in the girls' room, they are smoking. And in the boys' room, they are applying makeup. How odd <laughs> is that? I don't think George Lucas meant this as like some feminist statement, but I freaking love it. <laughs> Tony, I can guarantee you he did not mean that. <laughs> there is no way in this universe that that's what George Lucas was going for. That was absolutely the biggest accident in history. Rest assured, he was not making a feminist statement there. Nor has he ever made any kind of feminist statement in anything he's ever done. So you can absolutely be guaranteed Carrie that was Fisher not Carrie Fisher just reached down from heaven and slapped me across the face. <laughs> <laughs> it was like everything feminist about Leia was my idea. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And it got snuck in under the radar. <laughs> you can absolutely be guaranteed that. And then, of course, they wrap that scene up by blowing up the toilet. So Yes. Yes. <laughs> by by doing one of the most masculine things that happens in high school or college. Well, these bathroom scenes, I feel like are iconic. Before we leave Lucas and go into the bathroom, I do have to say one of the joys of watching George Lucas's commentary track is, first of all, it's a video. Like it pops up with a little video in the corner of George Lucas talking about American graffiti. And he's obviously recording this when he's older. So the flannel, the beard, the gray, the whole nine yards. He calls them kids so much and it makes them sound a billion years old. And then you realize he was 28. <laughs> wow. He was 28 doing this and he's like griping about how they had to teach all the kids how to dance because none of them knew how to dance the damn hippies, basically. Um, yeah, I'm sure. So it's hilarious. So yeah, I did want to give a shout out since this is the big dancing to the choreographer in this film. Uh, have you have you noticed who the choreographer is, Walt? I know that I have looked at that at some point, but I can't remember who it is. Ah, uh, now see, I feel like you haven't because you would, of course, remember the trivia that it is Tony Basil, aka. Oh, that's right. Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. Because I hate that song. <laughs> you blocked it out. I you totally blocked it out. Blocked it out. I had completely forgotten that. Yes, 
Tony Basil, who, when that song came out, I was a freshman in high school. I despised that song. It was everywhere. Everybody played it all the time. And I realized somewhere along the line that she was like 50 when that song came out. I am very curious because she was the choreographer. We know that. When they are showing the groups um and it's right after the kiss which is adorable the super awkward yes, couple kissing and then you that. see a couple dancing the woman's in a yellow skirt that woman is not a high school kid no no she's I not kind of wonder if it might be tony Basil. i have no evidence i do oh, not know you and may be right. i will never be able to prove this because you don't get enough of a shot but like from the photos i've seen of her if you told me that was her i'd believe you and it makes sense that, that she's totally doing the fancy dance moves her. and she looks older than everyone like just kind of makes sense right <laughs> oh that i that has to be her that's my theory. I never thought about that. That absolutely has to be her. And you know, her and there's somebody else dancing that I thought, those are just the cool teachers who come out and dance. <laughs> but that totally makes sense that, that would be her because she was a professional dancer. Yes. So also choreographed That Thing You Do. Great movie. Right. Shout out to my former MASH Minute co-host, Megan. Muppets from Space. I, uh, I don't know what dancing yeah. there is in that, but sure. <laughs> and then the opening credits of my best friend's wedding you know it's like okay this makes sense also choreographed legally blonde oh really which i could only think of one dancing and i'm like well that was it <laughs> i'm guessing yeah so yeah so she's still around and doing lots of stuff but i wanted to throw that out and then i can transition us into the bathroom because in the bathroom you will see kathleen quinlan and you will not see her on the dance floor even though this was her first movie and she didn't i mean she obviously had seen movies she's not dumb but she didn't really think it through that her character is supposed to be in the bathroom and that meant she couldn't be out dancing in the gymnasium with all her friends. Right. And so she got like called out, like called cut. What are you doing here? And she's like, what? You said you needed high schoolers that can dance. I can dance. And they're like, yeah, but your character's in the bathroom. And she had that moment where she's like, but I'm not in the bathroom. What's, what do you, you know, like when something's so obvious, once you get it, but until you get it, it just seems yes. to make no sense. <laughs> That's what happened to her filming this movie. It was the oh. first time it had occurred to her that like movies don't necessarily film in order and things are happening simultaneously and they're just going to cut it together later. <laughs> and so she was part of, basically, George Lucas went to a local high school and was like, hi, I need high schoolers who can dance. Give me your drama club. By the way, are any of these kids any good? And she was one of the people recommended like, oh, yeah, you could give her a line. And I hate to say, I wish I'd written this down in the interview with her in the making of documentary. But she was either like a cheerleader or head of the dance team or something like that, where it was like, OK, no, this girl, this girl gets it. But it, it was her first movie, like very much so. Interesting. She is that age, you know, or or she had just graduated the year before, but she was very much that age. She's super young. It really was. You just went to the high school. And was like, I need high schoolers that, you know, have any chance of learning this dance since none of them do the stroll anymore. <laughs> and then yeah. they, they taught them these little moves and uh, she got in trouble because she would go out and join them dancing. Like, you can't be in this scene. Right. You've got to be one place or the other. These yes. are happening simultaneously. Please note, you want the line. Um, yes. So, yes, Peg K. 
Kathleen Quinlan, who, if she's looking familiar to you, but you're not sure where from, you're probably thinking of when she played Marilyn Lovell in Apollo 13, directed by Ron Howard. That's right. Wow, what a tie-in. That was good. She came all the way back around to that. And yeah, she's the one telling Lori about Evelyn Shelnick, who went nuts after her boyfriend went into the Marines and was run over by a bus. <laughs> okay, so the, the thing about that line, to me, that is so uh, funny and unusual, this isn't a big town. It seems that everybody, maybe everybody doesn't know everybody, but somebody getting run over by a bus, everybody would know about that, right? Yes. <laughs> How did she not know about that? I almost wonder if from Lori's face, which is a great face, when she like snaps, she's like, she did know, and she did not want to compare her situation to that situation. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. Cindy Williams' face is the look of someone who has no intention of getting run over by a bus. No, absolutely not. And the difference between my boyfriend going off to college and your boyfriend going off to the Marine Corps is definitely a little bit different. Mm. The stakes are a little higher with the Marine Corps boyfriend. And then they contrast... The girls, you know, brushing their hair, doing this, and then being super, like, poised and everything. And then it immediately goes into the zip makeup. And, uh, oh, you guys engaged yet? Yeah, college girls really put out, huh? And I'm just... I'm just dying because I've mentioned before on the show that this was Ron Howard. Ron Howard was 18 when he was making this movie. And this was his first like, okay, I'm not just going to be a child actor. I'm going to make the leap. I'm going to do this on my own. I did not think through this little tiny consequence, which I felt I would mention here at this scene with this little shrug about college girls really putting out, is that Lucas points out this was the first movie Ron Howard made without his parents on set. Oh, Interesting. Right? You just assume Ron Howard had been in the biz for so many years. But yeah. that, I mean, I, I was not a, <laughs> a Hollywood darling, but I would imagine that would make quite a difference. To go from having your parents there to not, like, the first time. And remember, they're on location. They're all staying at the same hotel. They're up all night. They're, you know, hijinxing all day. Yeah, did I read that they filmed, like, from nine at night till five in the morning? Yeah, uh, nine to six was the working day. Nine to six, wow. Then they would go back to the hotel, and they were supposed to sleep all day. Except the hotel was also hosting a, I believe it was a dentist convention? (laughs) (laughs) who obviously were not on this schedule. And so basically, I I forget if it was Candy Clark or someone, or or Mackenzie. So one of the actors was like, we basically didn't sleep for a month. (laughs) Like... Lucas, of course, uh, you know, as long as they were still showing up on time and not getting in trouble, loved it because the longer shooting went on, the more tired everyone looked. I was going to say it shows as you get towards the end. Yeah, that everybody looks wiped out. And that was absolutely it. But I've got to imagine like your first time on set and getting to deliver this line and not know that like your mom is watching. That helps. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) That helps you be an 18-year-old boy. I would not have wanted my mom to know what the discussions were in the boys' bathroom or the men's locker room or anywhere else. That's just... Or anywhere. (laughs) You know, women basically would not want anything to do with men if they knew (laughs) what those conversations were like. So it's very similar (laughs) to this. 
I did hear, I believe from Kathleen Quinlan, but not confirmed anywhere that this was all filmed in one day. Like the bathrooms, the dance. Wow. This was one night, you know, nine to six of shooting. Would love to get my hands on those notes. You know, if anyone's got an in in Marin County, please let me know. But one thing that I do love that has been confirmed that I have heard from the mouth of Lucas himself is that because he was talking about the work that they did with music, he and Walter Murch, and how they wanted the audio to swim by when the cars are moving on the street and stuff. And one thing that they did was, he talks about it specifically when Laurie and Steve are dancing in a little bit, we'll see. But in this scene, they actually went and played the audio in a gymnasium so that you would get that little bit of an echo, oh, that room yeah. noise that, that we as podcasters spend our lives avoiding. <laughs> Right, but a gym is absolutely the worst place for acoustics. Yes, they specifically wanted it to have that little bit so that you knew it wasn't just someone pressed play in a recording booth, but actually that this was played. Because, spoilers, if you are watching this movie and like Kathleen Quinlan haven't really thought through how movies get made before, they don't actually make the band play while they're rolling film. <laughs> right. Now, they may they may play, but they're not they're not mic'd. So yeah, you're not yeah. going to hear them. They may do it for authenticity, but they are not live. And so the the music that we are hearing is added after the fact. Yeah, it's just really amazing. They were talking about the way, like when they decided to kind of take out that echo, they, when they push in on someone, they take that out because you're in their space. But then anytime you zoom out, you're in the room right? for the reality of it. So yeah, I thought I thought that was really cool. And I definitely, once I heard that watching the scene, I'm like, oh yeah, no, that music was played in the gymnasium. That is really interesting. That was, that was pretty astute of them to do that because it does have that authentic sound. Oh, they're such sound nerds and I just love it. <laughs> well, and one thing that I caught, I had to educate myself a little bit. There is actually a disco ball hanging from the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And I thought, ah, I have found my first error. But I looked up disco balls and they were actually used in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. So they were all those flapper parties. Yeah, exactly. So they have a long history that I was not aware of. Yeah. Now, were they called disco balls then or did they have another name before? Well, it's funny you should ask. They were actually called mirror balls or glitter balls. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So disco even ruined the name of the glitter ball. I don't know that glitter ball, glitter ball can be a promise or a threat. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) That that is true. But it, it is, that is such a, a mainstay of so many uh, high school and middle school dances, isn't it? Yeah, we had, like I said, I was just younger enough that instead of the disco ball, it was the DJ light setup. Oh, but it's yeah. it's achieving the same thing. Yeah, disorienting you. What, you know what, though? I'm ragging on middle school dances quite a bit. And I do have to say, I was at a middle school. T- Again, I'm so sorry if I'm making you feel old. Please feel free to plug your ears. <laughs> Doris would be horrified. It was at a middle school dance that I first heard, no doubt, it was Spiderwebs. Okay. And I remember stopping halfway through the song and turning to my friend because all we were hearing was Mariah Carey and Biggie and Puff Daddy. And and I turned to her, I was like, why aren't we listening to music like this? Like I knew, here's the thing, and I knew rock music existed. I knew about The Who and Led Zeppelin, but they did not seem relevant to my 1997 in middle school dance. That is so hard to believe. I, I can't believe that Baba O'Reilly wasn't right at the top of the list for exactly. 
I knew about rock and I knew about rap and I knew about pop. But what No Doubt represented to me, like, and it's so funny because I then went on to have friends in high school and college who hate No Doubt with a fiery burning passion, cannot stand that band or Gwen Stefani. Think Gwen Stefani is one of the worst things that ever happened to (laughs) Scott. Wow, okay. Hate No Doubt. I I just can't imagine having any sort of passion one way or another towards No Doubt. I could never turn against them that way. I was like, look, I understand what you're saying. I see your argument, but I cannot ever get over that moment because No Doubt Spiderwebs was the first time it was like, they're still making rock music, guys. It's not just our parents' music. I swear I heard. And what's so funny is, of course, this is pre-internet, pre-Shazam in your pocket. I had no idea what it was. This song appeared and then it was months before I heard it on a radio. And then it was months before I heard it on a radio and they said who it was, you know? It's hard to believe that time existed, isn't it? Oh my God. My favorite is all the people who complained that um, the movie, The Perks of Being a Wallflower was unrealistic because how would these kids not recognize David Bowie's heroes? And all of us old explaining to them, like, you couldn't just Google lyrics, you did Right. You know? <laughs> and you couldn't just listen to something anytime you wanted to. You either had yeah. to go buy it and have it on a record or a tape, uh, or you just had to wait until it cycled back through. Yeah. If you heard a song, you had to hope that someone maybe recognized or was like, hey, that sounds kind of like the person who sings this other song. You know, like there was no there was no way to look it up if you just heard a song you liked on the radio. No. That was it. Until until a DJ told you what song that was, could be anything. Absolutely. And you sure didn't want to be the person who was like, oh, well, that's Led Zeppelin. And everybody's like, what are you talking about, you idiot? That's not Led Zeppelin. Oh, my God. I'm so that person. <laughs> I'm still <laughs> that person. I said something was the Doobie Brothers on um, This Means Something, my Close Encounters podcast. And Chris Frayne had to correct me because he's like, you will get hate mail. <laughs> It is CCR. Yeah, there was not a Doobie Brothers song in Close Encounters, I don't think. No, and actually I was referencing something else, but it was it was a Creedence Clearwater Revival song. And he uh, was like, Tierney, I can't let you say that on the internet. You will be revived. And so, yeah, I'm still that person. I- I'm glad he did that. I mean, I can understand how you could possibly confuse that. But yeah, th- I'm, glad, I'm glad he gave you the out on that one. Yeah. So yeah, kids these days don't know how good they have it. I have circled back around. I am now the old person talking about kids these days. George <laughs> Lucas, when can I expect my flannel shirt? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think that Lucas was old even when he was young. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't seem like he would have been the kid in like third grade that people are like, why are you listening to 30s music? He was out of step his entire life or has been out of step his entire life. I love he said um, that he had been every character except Steve. He had no idea how to write the Steve character. I mean, obviously, he came up with his Steve Bolander's existence, but that was all William and Gloria beefing up that character because he's like, I don't get this guy. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. The Toad, Milner, Kerr, I've been those guys. But Steve, I was never the class president. <laughs> no, I can see that. And I, I I, would think if you asked me which one he was most like in high school, I would have said the Toad. Yeah. Oh, he has a beautiful line. I forget when in terms of the movie where he says, everyone starts out as the Toad. Yeah, that's that's a good line. And then Milner with the cars and Kurt with the going off to film school was how he explained it. Interesting. Yeah. I still have my toad moments. I mean, 
We all do. These things happen. Well, you, you know when it is. It's when you when you say to your friends, "Oh, I host a podcast." That is <laughs> that is your toad moment. They all kind of look at you like, "Wow, you are a real nerd." Uh, I will I will see that and raise you having to explain that I was leaving my job at a law firm to see if I could make a go of it hosting podcast. <laughs> Oh man, I bet that was a an interesting moment. <laughs> I've never seen, and there there had been some drama in my department, and so I think the woman thought I was, and you know, like a bunch of people left. And I was like, nope, this just happened to be the way the timing worked out. I was like, I'm going to be a creative instead, and she was like, I've never been so happy to fill out this paperwork because. <laughs> I don't understand what is going on, but you're saying words and I'm writing them down. And it has nothing to do with human resources needs to talk to my manager. Yes, exactly. Best of luck to you. Her words. (laughs) Yeah, whatever this whole thing means. Well, I still laugh at the fact that like a year ago, my dad was still going, now what station is this podcast on? Oh, yes. Oh, is there anything sweeter, uh, listeners who have done podcasts their own will understand, than the moment when your parents admit to you that they don't really listen to your podcast and they try and couch and like, oh, we listened to a few episodes. It wasn't really our style, though. And I'm like, oh, you sweet, sweet people. That is fine. (laughs) My mom actually subjected her husband to our podcast because they figured out that they could listen to it on the Alexa. Mm. So every morning they would come down and say, Alexa, play the wilder ride and so they would get that day's episode and they would listen and i i don't know why but my mom would call me every once in a while and say you really shouldn't use that word on the radio (laughs) mom it's on the internet it's okay (laughs) (laughs) parents worry they do Okay, best parent thing ever, then I swear to God, I will stop saying things that aren't relevant to the movie American Graffiti. The movie MASH was directed by Robert Altman in 1970. And apparently, when it came out, Robert Altman's father called his sisters and said, Bobby's made a dirty movie. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) it it happens to the greats just like us. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Bet you didn't think when you woke up this morning and knew you were guesting on here that I would end up comparing us podcasters to Robert Altman. (laughs) Well, the similarities are almost undeniable. So I asked you a little bit about your experience with high school dances and you said, you know, who you related the most to for characters, but what's your overall, you know, experience of American Graffiti? Was it something you saw when you were younger? Did you ever go through a phase of trying to be as cool as John Milner? Oh, I could never be as cool as John Milner. Yeah, I probably watched American Graffiti, I don't know, what, 10 times over the years. And it's not its not necessarily one that every year I sit down and go, I've got to watch this movie. But I've always enjoyed it. At different times, I've been able to relate to different characters. But I think, you know, having those good, strong friendships through high school, I can definitely relate to that. I can definitely relate to feeling like, where do I go from here? What's next? And having that little bit of, you know, do I stick around? Do I go away to college? Well, and I, shoot, I've had that through my whole life of what, <laughs> what's my next step? Where do I go? I've always struggled with that a little bit. And so I, I think I can relate to, uh, to this movie in a lot of ways. I've always loved the music. And in some ways, I kind of forget that it's a George Lucas movie. And it's a little different than, you know, Star Wars and some of the other favorites of his that he did. It has a good heart to it. 
I even like the accident, you know, the, the accidental part they caught where, you know, the Vespa crashed at the beginning that wasn't scripted. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this is really kind of, it has a lot of similarities to uh, to my high school experience. And so I, I've always been able to relate well to this movie. Well, we're really glad that you related well enough to this movie to agree to be on a podcast deep diving into it. Well, when you asked me, I was like, you know, I probably wouldn't have sat down and said, that's a movie that I want to break down a minute at a time. But then when you said, I was like, there's a lot to this movie. There is a a lot to dig into. And, you know, just the music alone, you could spend months talking about. But the people in the movie, I mean, Cindy Williams is just a fantastic actress. I've always really liked her. So as you go through this movie, there is a lot to talk about. I mean, hell, he gave us four storylines. We can keep busy. And $80,000 worth of music. We're good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you had Wolfman Jack. I mean, Wolfman Jack in and of himself is such an iconic character. I remember him on the radio when I was a kid. And and seeing Opie move beyond being a child (laughs) actor, that's pretty cool. So there's a lot in the cars. I mean, there are a couple of pages that I looked at of stuff you don't know about American Graffiti. And it was all about cars. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm not a car guy per se, but uh, I got lost in some of that stuff. It's like, I didn't know this and I still don't understand it. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I got V8. That's great. I know what a V8 is, but going beyond that, I'm not so sure. But then also just the awkwardness of the age. So it is, I would definitely put it up there in my my list of, of movies that I really can relate to and really enjoy. And every time I watch it, I find something else that I like about it. There's something about, I've been saying this for years, and people think I'm crazy because I say it about films like American Graffiti, and I say it about things like the first season of Laguna Beach on MTV. Like, there is something about the senior year of high school that is just a goldmine for storytelling. Yeah, yeah, There is something about that moving on, that becoming an adult, that is a rich field of of ideas and stories and that awkwardness. And it's one of those, I am finally publishing a book this year and it's about high schoolers go right before they go off to college because that, like, there's something about that age that's just, you kind of can't help it. Well, yeah. I mean, you're walking through a door that you can never go back through. Yeah. And you are making that transition, like it or not, whether your parents like it or not, when you go from being a kid to being an adult. And you're not 100% there. I mean, you still have those childish things that you deal with. But, you know, you're now an adult. You make adult decisions. You have adult consequences. And when you walk through that door and you take that diploma and walk out, that is a big deal. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, it is a, a rich tapestry to draw from uh, artistically. And I I kind of put this movie in that same category with The Breakfast Club. And I think The Breakfast Club has such a depth to it that people don't always appreciate. I, I hear a lot of people, oh, I don't like The Breakfast Club. How can you not like The Breakfast Club? And how can you not like American Graffiti? Kind of for those same reasons, unless you just had a bad experience in high school. You know, maybe it just brings up some bad stuff. But even still, there's something in every one of these characters and every character in The Breakfast Club that I can really relate to. And it takes something away that really kind of makes me think about myself. So, you know, the good, the good and the bad. Uh, so, yeah, I, I love this movie. And I'll, I'll tell you one thing. I can relate to some of the bad dancers in it, too. I can definitely, definitely get that. 
Well, luckily, we both survived our high school years and moved on to become the fabulous, amazing podcasters that we are. So if you're listening to this podcast and you want more, well, first of all, wherever you found this episode, whatever you're using to listen to podcasts, if you look tomorrow, you'll find another episode. But if you're looking for more on social media, our Twitter and Instagram are under our parent series, which is VCR Privileges, all one word. And our Facebook presence is a listeners group called Mel's Listeners Drive-In, where you can join and share if you had a car that you loved with your heart and soul in high school, please share pictures of it there so that I can and it's not weird. (laughs) And... (laughs) If you are looking for more things to listen to on that podcatcher of choice, look for The Wilder Ride, and I'll let you tell them where to find more. Yeah, probably the best place to find us is also in our listeners group. Uh, So if you go to facebook.com slash The Wilder Ride, follow us there, and then a button will pop up that says join our listeners group, and you'll definitely want to do that. And it's, you know, we kind of say there's no politics, no craziness like that. It's just all entertainment, stuff about Gene Wilder and the movies we're covering and whatever else uh, comes to people's minds. So that is where you find us. Also, we are pretty much The Wilder Ride everywhere you look online. Web address is thewilderride.com. Got the bios for me and Alan, all the stuff that we've done. We had, this year we had kind of some craziness. And so we didn't go through a movie. We interviewed a bunch of people. We had 30 different interviews with just people we thought were interesting, including the next commander of the International Space Station, a guy who has climbed Mount Everest five times, a guy who retired from the police department and lost two family members not long after that and drove his motorcycle all across North America. So had a real interesting season. So check us out. Okay, we all had a crazy year last year, and some of us learned how to make banana bread. And you interviewed the... like. You don't need to apologize for not getting through a movie, I feel like, (laughs) if that is what you provided in lieu of. (laughs) It was a great season. And it was really therapeutic, to be honest with you. So it was it was a lot of fun. And of course, if you think I've got to hear more of Walt and Tierney talking together, well, first of all, now we just make each other be on each other's podcasts all the time. <laughs> That's right. But if you go to the most recent one was The Best Minutes, which is a podcast about the best years of our lives, that is a Movies by Minute podcast where teams of hosts take turns hosting. And I know I appeared on... On that with my mash minute co-host Megan and you and Alan were on as the wilder ride. That's right. Alan and I had minutes one through ten, so you can't escape us. We were right at the beginning. <laughs> All right. Like I said, we'll be back tomorrow as they go running out away from the cherry bomb. Didn't even mention that that's what it's called. We could have gotten into that. Nope. That's for the dazed and confused minute to deal with. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We will talk to you again soon. Well, thanks for having me. He's really fast, isn't he?